Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. And The Naked Scientist is brought to you by Grolsch Premium Lager. Grolsch Choose Interesting, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. And to Australia we go to join The Naked Scientist, Chris Smith. Good morning to you, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Reedy. Good morning. Good morning. What's happening in Australia? Oh, well, I'm here for National Science Week, of course. Oh, okay. Um, so I can't, uh, if you remember, we, we were out here at this time last yes, year. Yes, yes, now I do. Because it's um, National Science Week in Australia. So I come to Perth, to Murdoch University, which is in Perth, where I have a, a visiting professorship. So I come out here to uh, spread the love a bit and tell people a bit about science in Western Australia. Wonderful. Okay, the line is not great, but we can hear you. I just thought I'd explain to our listeners because they're so used to getting the clearest of lines, so it's not that perfect, but we can hear you. <laughs> now, Chris, Sorry just talk that. to me. We spoke about Ebola recently, um, but the ethics, what do medical ethics dictate? The debate has been, is it ethical to give people a, a vaccine that hasn't passed the efficacy test? But if the death toll from Ebola, if Ebola comes with a very high death risk, uh, what do medical ethics actually dictate in a case like that? Well, yeah, th- there is a situation which is called compassionate use. And the point is that if you have a disease which has an, an extremely high mortality rate and there's a very high risk that you're going to succumb to this disorder, then it's very hard for a, a medicine to make the situation worse because the, the thing about any aspect of medicine is to do no harm. That's the the, the guiding principle. And at the end of the day, if you end up not doing something for somebody when an experimental drug could save their life just because you don't want to use the experimental drug, Mm. that's actually worse. So in certain circumstances where people have a grim prognosis, sometimes we say, well, look, on compassionate grounds, let's try this. Let's see if it works. And sometimes we get some very good results. And so um, various regulatory hurdles are bypassed and new agents are tried. And and sometimes people's lives are saved. Yes, yes. Do no harm. All right. We have an SMS here from Jennifer. Jennifer wanted to know, can one get sunburned when sitting behind a glass window? Well, if you look at the physics, the, the reason we get sunburned is because of ultraviolet rays and specifically usually UVA and a bit of UVB. And those are filtered out by glass because they can't, they can't get through glass to any appreciable extent. So for that reason, you should, if you are sitting behind a window, get a much lower risk of getting burned than if you're out in the open air. So you, you won't get zero risk because some will still make it through the glass, but the vast majority will be screened out. So your risk of getting burned behind glass is lower. Mm-hmm. All right. Our lines are open for you. What do you want to ask Chris on 021-446-0567-011-8830702? Ray in Cape Town. Good morning. Good morning, Ray. 
Oh, good morning. Sorry, I, I just lost your voice for a moment. It's okay. I, I, I saw pictures on my uh, computer of NATO, one of NATO's satellites, uh, showing footage of a black hole actually twisting light and absorbing it. And uh, in the past, we've always believed that black holes were, you know, just a theory. Now, are these the very first, is, is this the very first proof we have that they actually do exist? And also, what are white holes? Hello, what an interesting question. Well, the answer is that, that black holes definitely exist, and we can't explain what we see in any other basis other than that they are black holes. The reason black holes are black is because these are objects in space which are so gravitationally powerful that they bend space under, their own gra under the influence of their gravity mm. to the extent that not even light can escape. So when light is incident near to a black hole, it's curved if it passes near a black hole, and that's called gravitational lensing. That's what proves to us that, that these black holes are, are obeying the rules of gravity as we understand it. And if light hits a black hole, it cannot escape because the gravitational field created by the black hole is so intense that the light just goes in and we never see it again. So black holes are definitely not just a theory. We can explain on the basis of, of, of what we see that they must be there. We know that there are supermassive black holes in the middle of galaxies, and that's why the Milky Way galaxy behaves the way it does. There are also smaller black holes that we see elsewhere in, within galaxies. For instance, when very big stars explode at the end of their lives, this is called a supernova, and they then collapse down in on themselves and they leave behind a black hole. And, and again, these behave uh, and, and obey the laws of physics. So we can therefore say, well, we are, our theory appears to be right. A white hole is um, a theory that suggests that at the, for want of a better phrase, arse end of a black hole, you might have um, a new Big Bang happening, for example, where all of the matter that's going into the black hole is squeezed out and a new universe is created. And the idea is you could have parallel multiple universes in existence. And there's no evidence for this. This is pure conjecture, and that a white hole might be the big bang going on in those new universes. Thank you very much, Ray. Thanks indeed. Is it Matoto in Ebony Park? Yes, correct. Really good morning. Yes. Uh, quickly, my question is, you know, some people, when, when they clean their ears, they get this funny, uh, like they're eating something, they go like, what, 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 what causes it? Sorry, can you repeat the question? When, okay, you, clean when you clean your ears, yeah, you feel like there's like there's a saliva flowing, there's and a then you mm -hmm. you 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 make that that sound like you're eating something. Uh, Chris, did you get that? No, I don't. I don't really mm, sure I, I understand the question. Yeah, I don't either, and that's why she, he said something about cleaning. When you clean your ears, you get a sensation in your mouth like you're eating something. I don't know what. I don't, I'm not quite sure. No, I mean, it's fair to say that there's some, the nerves that supply the inside part of your ear also supply other parts of your head and neck and your mouth. And so when you itch or when you uh, irritate or stimulate your eardrum by perhaps putting something into your ear to clean it, then you will be irritating or, or stimulating the same nervous supply that supplies other parts of your head and neck, and therefore you might feel some referred sensations. You might feel as though you've got sensation happening elsewhere in your head and neck, and it's coming from the stimulation you're applying inside your ear. That's the, the best guess I can, I can put forward for that one. All right. Sorry, I can't help either. Um, let's go to Pilani in Mountain View. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Mm. Yes, I uh, just have a slight question. 
Yes, ask your question. Okay, yeah. I was wondering if everything is made from atoms, and then atoms are largely empty space, how come it is that you can feel something when you touch it? Okay, so a very good question. So if you've got an atom, and uh, most of it is, is empty space, as you say, then why does actually the atom have any kind of physical presence? Or why, why is it hard to, why doesn't it just fall in on itself? Because at the end of the day, the nucleus, the center of an atom, is only a tiny fraction of the, the total size of the atom. The electrons going around the outside make up the rest of it. And the reason comes down to various physics, forces. And the most fundamental of these is that if you've got a cloud of electrons, which are small negatively charged particles outside the atom, if you try to push two atoms together, then you're trying to push two groups of negatively charged things together, the electron clouds, and the, they repel each other because like charges repel. And that means the harder I push two atoms together, the harder they push each other apart. And this is one of the reasons why if we want to use nuclear fusion, where we're pushing atoms together and making them fuse to make bigger atoms, which is what the sun does, and we want to try to copy this on, on Earth in order to have nuclear fusion as a fuel source or an energy supply, um, part of the problem is that you've got to overcome this repulsion between atoms in order to get them to squeeze together. And that's done largely by the electron clouds. And then when you get down to closer and closer scales by uh, repulsion between the nuclei. And so it's, it's all down to electrostatics. Thank you very much, Pilani. Let's take a break. We have an SMS here about body order. And we have a call from Joe Tabo. I'll come to you in just a moment. Talk Radio, talk radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. 14 minutes to 10 o'clock and we're chatting to Chris Smith. I wonder if we can help this person, Chris. He says, hi, I have a body audio audio problem problem despite showering regularly and using antiperspirants and perfume what causes this and is it true that taking a chlorophyll supplement can help well first of all i'm sorry to hear about that because it's very unpleasant for people that feel they have this problem if they're doing all the right things as far as hygiene and using antiperspirants goes then they may well have another fairly rare condition Mm-hmm. which can lead to very quick uh, onset of anoda. There's a condition called trimethylaminuria, um, or fish odor syndrome. And in this condition, it's caused by a metabolic condition, which is not in any way life-threatening, but it leads to the accumulation of these trimethylamines uh, in the body, mm-hmm. and they smell like fish. And people will say that they very quickly notice this smell come on, that they, they wash very regularly, and then it comes back very rapidly. Um, under those circumstances, there's not a lot you can do apart from try and mask the smell because it's caused by the way the body metabolizes certain chemicals in the diet. It might be possible to reduce the odors by eating uh, or, or avoiding eating the things that are the culprit chemicals. Um, if, if that isn't the case, if it isn't one of those conditions, then again, it might be something dietary because every, the way our bodies handle the various things we eat is that we have lots of bacteria inside us that eat our diet before we do. And mm. sometimes the spectrum of bugs that we carry lead to foods being broken down or processed in certain ways and the production of various metabolites, some of which are, are whiffy and can be absorbed and, and then systemically distributed through the body and, and sweated out. So that may also be a consideration. It may be something in the diet. So it would be worth looking at diet as the first instance and just basic hygiene methods, um, um, methods and approaches as well. And, and then if that doesn't really provide any insights, then maybe considering one of these more rare metabolic conditions. Joe in Cyril Dean. Hi. 
Hi, hi, Vidi. How are you doing? Good. Your question. Welcome. Uh, all right. Thanks. Uh, sorry, Chris. Um, I'd like to know what is the cause of the, the zinging in the ear all the time. Um, I think it's called tinnitus or something, and uh, there's just absolutely. No, I've been to the EMT, and I don't have any joy from them. Okay. I think we've had this question before, but it won't hurt to go through it again. Chris. Yeah. Hi, Joe. With tinnitus, uh, you're right. Is uh, the medical term for the condition which is ringing in the ears. This appears to be a condition which arises in people who have been exposed to very loud sounds, and particularly loud sounds over a prolonged or sustained period of time. People who do a loud job, for example, and they don't use ear defenders. For instance, people who use road drills or people in the mining industry who don't wear ear defenders if or, they, or they choose not to. This sustained prolonged damage uh, is caused by the cochlea, which is the organ of hearing, which converts the sound waves in sounds that come into your ears into nerve signals, different parts of the cochlea turn different frequencies into nerve information. And the loud sounds will damage that part of the cochlea that, that responds to those frequencies. So over a period of time, that part of the cochlea stops responding properly and you get a flat spot in your hearing. Now, because your brain is downstream of those messages, your brain is listening for signals coming from the cochlea. And if it doesn't hear a signal coming in that it's expecting, in the same way as when you're listening to the radio, you think, I can't hear the radio very well. I'm going to turn it up a bit. If you keep turning up the volume, which is what the brain does to try to tune in to the missing sounds, you'll notice that whenever you turn up the volume, you get a bit of a hiss in the background. And eventually, if you keep turning up the volume, the hiss can become really quite loud. And we think that that tinnitus, that ringing sound, corresponds to the brain turning up the volume on those missing sounds to the point where the natural noise in your nervous system becomes the dominant sound that you hear, oh. that ringing sound. So it's the sort of, it's the auditory equivalent of phantom limb syndrome. If you amputate part of your body, you sometimes get people saying they feel pain from the missing body oh. part. Well, this is, this is the auditory equivalent where you hear sounds coming from the missing signals from the cochlea and it's very distracting what people say is the best thing to do is to not focus on it because if you pay attention to it if you obsess about it then you actually have the effect of your brain turning the volume up even higher and it's better to try and avoid focusing on it try and distract yourself or uh, listen to some other sounds because this can actually stop you from suffering from it so badly wow very fascinating indeed uh tabo in midrand hi Hi, Ridi. Mm. Um, a four-year-old child is using both the left and the right hand almost um, equally. Uh, can the child be trained to use both to be ambidextrous? And what are the effects thereof, either positively or negatively? Okay, so both hands, that's what you're saying, yes. left and right. Yeah. And uh, you yeah. want to know, can, can a child be trained to use both? I thought he was already using mm. both. Yes, yes, to continue you- using both. Oh, okay, to continue using both and have them both dominant, basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've put this question to Chris McManus, who's a friend of mine, and he wrote a very successful book called Right Hand, Left Hand, which won lots of prizes, actually, which <laughs> looked at all these sorts of questions. And uh, he always answers this in this way. He says, well, human beings are extremely good at practicing to do things, and if you practice hard enough, you can be good at doing anything. So, sure, if you carried on training you would become very good at writing with your non-preferred hand. If I'm right-handed and I kept practicing, I could eventually become reasonably good at writing with my left hand. Would I choose to do that? 
No, I would choose to write with the hand that I'm best at writing with, that I feel more comfortable writing with. And 90% of us would choose our right hand for that, and mm -hmm. about 10% of people would choose their left hand for that. Now, we don't know why we've got that bias. We just know that we are better at doing things, fine, manipulative, manipulating tasks with our dominant hand, and it appears that one side of our brain is dominant over the other, and that's the opposite side of your brain, so the hand that you prefer to use. We don't know why this is. We don't know why it's so penetrant in humans, why 90% of us are like that. And in animals, whilst animals do have handedness, the handedness is about 50-50, so about half of the population of animals will prefer using one arm or one hand or one fin, 50% the other. In humans, it's, it's very stark asymmetry, 90% right-handed. Some scientists speculate it's something to do with language being on one side of the brain as well, and that makes one side of our brain dominant, and that's what gives you your handedness, but we just don't know. The, the answer is that your child will, will practice and become very good at using both hands, but they'll still have one they absolutely say they prefer to use. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Tabor. Is it Anthony in Randburg? Hi. Hi, good morning. Yes. Um, this is not a question. It's actually an answer, and I don't know if it was answered. There was a question a couple of weeks ago about a black box, an aircraft black box that is found, and then why is it put back into, why is it put into water for transportation? Yeah, I remember that, Anthony, and we speculated that um, the corrosive effects of salt water and so on, or if the, if the black box was contaminated with something, it was good to put it in water and rinse it off. Um, we we yeah. speculated that that might be the reason. Do you have a better answer? It's, it's close. It's close. The reason they do it is because if it's immersed in salt water, the salt will cause corrosion. So they put it in water to remove the oxygen so that the corrosion can't take place. Okay, so putting it in water like that will help to flush off the salty water because we did speculate that it would be down to some corrosive substances on the black box, so therefore it would be less corrosive. And also, if there were other nasty chemicals on there that you didn't want in contact with people, it was better to put it in water and rinse them off. No, no. Actually, it, it doesn't allow oxygen to come in contact with the black box, which stops, which stops the corrosion. That's the only reason. It's not to do with chemicals. It's only to do with the corrosion from the salt. So if it's in water, there's no oxygen, and that's why they. Oh, there's plenty it. of oxygen in water. There's isn't there? Yeah, because, oxygen has um, water. Fish, so. fish live in water, don't they? And fish, fish absorb water, oxygen from water with their gills. So mm -hmm. I don't think that can be entirely the explanation, because there's lots of oxygen dissolving in the water all the time. Isn't isn't the makeup of water hydrogen and oxygen? It is, but for some, uh, this is this is what I believe. For some reason, the, the it won't rust. Basically, it won't rust while it's in water. Yeah, but you're saying it won't rust yeah. because of exposure to oxygen. You, you're saying that the, 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 yeah, you, you're saying that um, they don't want it to be in contact with oxygen because the oxygen would cause that. But water does have oxygen. That's what we're saying. Yeah, but it won't. I, I don't know why it just doesn't rust in water. Hmm. Chris? Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I think it's unlikely that that would be the entire case because they would just dry the box out. Um, if that were the case. So I think there must be a more subtle reason why they would want to rinse the box in water after it came out of a crash site. And it might be that um, all, all the other possibilities, there's something on there that they want to preserve in the water um, because there might be some evidence sticking to the box. And so having it in a sealed volume of water might, might make it uh, a safer place to keep the box so that they're not tampering with the evidence or damaging the evidence, if you sort of mean. If anyone knows, if any airline people know, then do please get in touch with us because it's uh, quite an interesting question, this. Why not? Yeah. Chris, enjoy Australia. We'll chat to you next week again.
Thanks, everyone. Bye, 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 bye. That's a naked scientist, and of course, this feature will be available um, as a podcast. The naked scientist was brought to you by Grolsch Premium Lager. Grolsch choose interesting, not for sale to persons under the age of eighteen. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that's investing twenty billion pounds in R and D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK.